USAA is proudly celebrating 100 years of serving the military community. It was a group of soldiers who launched USAA in 1922 by joining together to insure each other's vehicles when no one else would. Since then, USAA has grown to more than 13 million members strong. And through it all, one thing has remained. USAA is still serving the military community and their families. Find out more at USAA.com 100. It's November, which marks National Veterans and Military Families Month. We want to take a moment to thank our military and veteran community for your service and sacrifice for the mission you signed up for. This episode features a Vietnam-era veteran story, and we want to offer a special moment of recognition to our Vietnam-era veterans. Plus, Chelsea Wallace and John Swales speak about veteran-friendly opportunities for life after the military. Welcome to the Veterans Voice, presented by USAA. Veterans Voice is a service of Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center, originating from the Optum Podcast Studio, in partnership with podcast channel sponsor, Medicare Mentors, technology partner, Colorado Computer Support, and supporting partner, the WireNut Home Services. Hi, welcome back, listeners. Today on the show, we have Phil Chapman. Uh, former Navy data analyst uh, and served from 65 to 69. I got you on the show today to talk about your time in service and the difference of now and then, especially talking about transition. And uh, Phil, go ahead and tell us a little bit about your career in, in, your, uh, in the Navy. Well, it's been 50 years ago, so it's <laughs> a little vague in parts. But, you know, I joined the service in 1965. The draft was actually going on in 65. Vietnamese War started heating up. The draft was initiated. And I actually did get a draft notice from the Army. And we had 30 days that you could transition to one of the other armed forces. But you had a four-year commitment versus a two-year draft commitment. And I was very interested in systems and data processing and things like that. The Army didn't provide any school at that time. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, I'll just get an education while I'm in there, and I'll spend four years in the Navy. And I liked to do that. Went in as a seaman recruit, which is as low as you can be on the food chain, and went to boot camp in San Diego for 15 weeks. I think it's a lot shorter than that now, but back yeah. then it was it was long. I think the boot camp for Navy now is five. Five or six weeks, something like that. Yeah, and it's all in Great Lakes, too, mm -hmm. in Chicago. Yep. But after spending uh, my time in boot camp, which was interesting, to say the least, you know, I, w I was given orders, and I was assigned to a ship. I'll never forget when the recruiter got me to join the Navy. He said, you'll spend two years at sea, and you'll spend two years shore duty. Well, I spent four years at sea. Oh, wow. So <laughs> um, Tight quarters? It was a little tight. You know, you, you really didn't have any personal feelings or space. I mean, you were just one of 400. We had 400 sailors on our ship. Wow. And you got to know each other pretty well. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so where, where all did you uh, sail to then? I, I had uh, four deployments mm -hmm. over four years. And I was assigned to a group called Westpac, which was a Western Pacific fleet. And we were stationed in Long Beach, California. That was our home port. Okay. So we would 
leave for nine months and come back for three. Wow. So, so I did that four times over four years. How, how often were you uh, let off a ship in those nine months? Uh, we got, when we got into a port, I, we went to Asia. That, that yeah. was our area, Japan, mm -hmm. Taiwan, Philippines, uh, got to Australia. That was more of an R&R type stop. Hong Kong, Vietnam, and some smaller islands that I don't even remember the name of. Yeah. But we got off the ship, uh, you know, we had a work schedule. My schedule was at night because that's when we ran the computers to process all of the day's activity on the ship. What did, uh, what did those computers look like back then? <laughs> uh, about the size of this office. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they consisted of a processor and six tape drives, a printer, and what was called a calculator at the time. Wow. And that was it. It was really more of a data collection. Uh -huh. You know, that was a transition between punch card era and actual computer. And computer was a univac, which the Navy entered into a big contract to convert to computers on their ships. You said you mentioned something earlier about cutting a, sh cutting a hole out of the, the, sh the boat to get it in there. <laughs> well, it actually happened. Well, <laughs> I mean, and, and we had cranes on our ship. Mm-hmm. And they actually lifted it off the dock and set it down into the, our area where we worked. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. So uh, you mentioned earlier, we had a little conversation beforehand, but your job was to collect all the data from every, all the, all the, everybody doing the work and like making sure everyone's doing the right stuff um, and pushing that information off to the commanders, correct? Right. So, we were destroyer tender. Okay. Which was the number on our ship was AD, mm -hmm. which is auxiliary destroyer. And our job was to maintain destroyers that were deployed. At sea. At sea. Well, we didn't service them at sea. Okay. But when we'd pull into a port like in Subic Bay, Philippines, and we might sit there for 30 days. And during our time at dock, we would have up to six destroyers pull in and tie up beside us all in a line. And our job was to fix any problems that destroyers had while they were deployed out at sea. Our crew consisted of technicians, plumbers, pipe fitters, um, engineers, carpenters, you name it. We had the expertise on our, our ship to fix whatever the destroyer's problem was. So the destroyer would tie up to us and they would bring us a, a list of work orders and we would fill all those work orders. And the computer came in to track uh, the jobs and the man hours, how many people it was taking. It was just a complete, it was like a contractor working on a house. We yeah. were the contractor. Okay. And then all these uh, work orders would be supplemented over the course of the repair with a progress report at the end of every day. And all those would come to the computer area and we would process all those progress reports, generate an actual paper report to go back to the department heads of the destroyers and our CEO as well. Well, so thinking about doing that now and then the technology that we have today, do you think it, your job would be a little bit quicker or would your job exist today or would it just be computers? Would it, you know? No. 
Well, the job probably still exists, but it would look more like an office like this mm -hmm. with some PCs, controllers. Yeah. And you wouldn't have a Volkswagen sitting around <laughs> slow. I mean, that computer was really slow. It was oh, fast sure. at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> State-of-the-art technology. No, I'm, I'm sure they've totally automated. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I worked before I uh, <coughs> went Special Forces. Yeah. I worked, I was a NBC guy for an Apache battalion. Um, and I got so bored, I just went over there and started turning wrenches on on helicopters. <laughs> I just OJT. Um, but just seeing those systems and and how the all the processes work of like you said, recording those those I guess man hours for lack of a better term. And, and um, <coughs> it it's it was a tedious process then with with all the technology we had. So I can't even imagine how hard it would be to track all that stuff and make sure all the reports were, were squared away back yeah. then. It's probably a I mean, you could probably mess that up pretty quick, and then you got your CEO yelling down your back. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they were the destroyers wanted to get back out to sea because mm -hmm. they were like, if we we were close enough to Vietnam where they could get to where we were um, docked, and then get back as soon as we got them fixed, they would be back. Probably take them a day cruise time. Oh wow, to get back. Okay. Uh, did you ever? So your what would be the closest that your ship got to the actual like the battle? Like the, we. We actually were in Hong Kong on R and R okay. one time, and we got uh, orders that everybody had to be back to the ship in 24 hours. Everybody was in Hong Kong doing what sailors do, <laughs> which is not good. <laughs> so whatever relaxes the mind. <laughs> we got back, and we were throwing the lines off within two hours of that be back time, and we didn't know where we were going or what our orders were anything and the captain of the ship came on and said we've been given orders to sail to chulai vietnam wow which which was a big uh service center you know i'm a dallas cowboy fan i'm sorry to say but <laughs> the good thing about that trip was roger Staubach was, oh. was in the navy at the time and he was a base commander at that supply center okay he was in vietnam <laughs> that's cool um, but our mission, we had a communication ship that was cruising the Vietnam coast, picking up data and information mm -hmm. on the enemy, and it had all kinds of highly confidential equipment on it. And it had broke its chain one night during a mini typhoon type weather. Chain as in like the anchor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It broke the anchor chain. Mm-hmm. And it went on the rocks. Oh, no. And okay. so it was trapped with all that top secret gear on it. And our job was to tie up as close as we could and then take small boats from our ship to that communication ship and strip it. So we went in there and took all of that electronic equipment off of it. What was your, uh, as a data analyst, right, because this... A lot of that kind of stuff happened in, throughout Afghanistan and Iraq where you had a, a supply guy or a data analyst or mm -hmm. someone that, hey, we need you to go on this convoy. Hey, we need you to go out. And they're like, oh, I got to leave the wire? Like, I got <laughs> this is, this is right. not this is not what I planned on doing. Right. And, you know, that's where a lot of that PTSD from the non-combat side of the house comes from is these people were put into situations that their brain wasn't ready for. Correct. W what were your feelings when you were like, hey, we're going to the shores? Well, like, Were you like, oh, no? <laughs> or no. were you like, let's go? I, I was excited about it. I awesome. volunteered to go. Cool. I mean, they had set 
experts that were going mm -hmm. that knew what they were doing with the equipment. Yeah. But they needed volunteers too. That's great. And I was one of the first ones to get on one of those small boats to go in there. That's awesome. And uh, we not only went to the ship to recover the equipment, we also got to spend time on the base with the soldiers, you know, in the beer tent, and yeah. got to know a lot of people and the mess hall. And it was interesting to watch those guys come in out of the jungle every every evening about yeah. dark. You'd see helicopters coming and um, squadrons coming in, and yeah. they would go out and come in. Yeah, I'm sure you you know saw some pretty crazy stuff and heard some pretty crazy stories about yeah, those guys. We coming heard back a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean those guys. I've been to Thailand, the jungle there, and never end over to Vietnam, and I can't imagine fighting in those jungles. And those guys saw a lot of stuff, and they didn't they didn't see a lot because you can't see far into those jungles. But no. bullets were definitely flying. We don't have beer tents anymore. What's a beer tent? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, and I forgot to mention everybody. Uh, Phil Chapman here is the. Father of our engineer Taylor, um, so maybe that you know you sign up for that mission is where Taylor got his uh, his itch yeah. to go combat and, and join the army. Yeah. But yeah, uh, elaborate on the beer tent. <laughs> <laughs> well, the beer tent was a tent, but it had kegs, had it. kegs of beer in it, really, with cups, and you could just go in there and decompress. Mm -hmm. Which it was made for the soldiers, but we had the opportunity to go into the, the beer tent several times while I was there. It was a decompression yeah. chamber, is what it was. Yeah, for sure. Was it like a two beer limit, or was it? Was there was it? no limit. Oh boy. <laughs> See, maybe that's why they got rid of it because the soldiers yeah. today. I mean, we had those in like Kyrgyzstan, uh, Kuwait. I Kuwait, think yeah. had some uh, on the outskirts and the periphery of of Iraq and Afghanistan, right. but. Oh, no, they wouldn't let us do that inside a war zone. <laughs> we had our duels. That was it. The I mean, it was, it, yeah, yeah. it was quite casual. That's good. You know, when the guys came in from the jungle, it was pretty casual for them. That's good. That's good that you need that because you come back and you're still stressed out and still everything's going crazy. It's uh, not a lot harder to de decompress from going on those missions. I know like I, I was out at several outstations throughout Afghanistan, and obviously there wasn't a lot of drinking. I'm sure there wasn't drinking in the outstations no. in Vietnam. But when you got back to those big bases like Bagram and Kandahar, um, it was a little bit easier to just take a breath, you yeah. know. And that's I guess I, I would attribute that's where the beer tent would be right. um, uh, for, for our modern-day soldiers. But now nah, they still didn't do it for us. No. <laughs> well, I can tell you this. Navy ships had no alcohol on them either. Really? No. Oh, absolutely wow. not. Were you guys making toilet wine? <laughs> there used to be a rumor that the, the torpedo fuel, if you put a little orange juice in that, <laughs> that might buzz you a little bit. Yeah. I never tried it, but there was a rumor around the yeah. ship. I think uh, I think the Agent Orange claims would be, because yeah. <laughs> I think drinking the fuel would probably be pretty bad for you. <laughs> I think it was a myth. Yeah. I think. We did have torpedoes because a lot of the destroyers had torpedo capability. And Your ship had torpedoes also? In stock. Oh, okay. We I didn't gotcha. shoot them. But yeah. We would put them on the destroyers. Wow. Oh, that, that, was that like, was there like a armored room for those things off to the side? Oh, yeah. 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 That's, I know those things can get. We carried a lot of ammunition. Okay. Cool. So you spent four, four years in the Navy. Yes. Uh, you're at ship, uh, you're through the Vietnam time. Um, Coming back from all those all those trips, what what was your what was it like coming back from each trip, each deployment? Like, was there did you have a lot of downtime? Did you go back into training? Were you just doing the same job 
off the ship as you were doing on the ship. How was your how was your transition from each deployment? We stayed on the ship. I mean, I was single at the time, uh -huh. so a lot of the sailors were married. You know, they had families that waited for them when they were deployed. So they kind of went back into a normal, if you can. You know, we weren't there that long way to leave again. But you know, I it was almost like a twelve month deployment for me. Yeah, was I lived on the ship? Really? So full time? Yeah. Just a lot less people when you were back home on yeah. the ship. A lot, a lot of people go and leave. And, it's a skeleton crew when, yeah. when we were back in the States. Gotcha. So you, you said that um, there's 400 people on your ship, right? How many beds? Like how many was there? Was there how many, how many defects? How many, like what was, what was the layout of your ship like? Well, each specialty had its own crew quarters. Okay. Like the engineers or the pipe fitters. Or, and the bunk room, you know, we didn't have beds. We had hammocks is what they were called. They weren't real hammocks they were a like a, a canvas hanging up on the wall canvas mattress yeah. you know or a canvas what it be called it would be the box springs okay. that would be the canvas yeah and then there'd be a thin mattress on top and the, the box spring or the canvas was tied onto a frame and it wasn't real big, but there was five of them stacked on top of each other. How many? How how far between your nose and the and the um, next person? You could barely roll over. Oh my! Yeah. <laughs> and you start out. When I got there, I had top one, the fifth, because was, was that the senior senior bunk? No, that was the junior bunk. Oh, okay. <laughs> the seniors were on the bottom. Oh wow! And it it was very tight. I mean, again, I mean, you had no personal feelings i mean you were one and you kind of acted as one because you all lived together and you're all part of the ship you, know, it's, you can't just get out and take a walk yeah. in the day you can go up on deck mm -hmm. and walk we, we was on a pretty big ship so it was yeah. but it's very tight uh, mess hall was tight it was either living quarters or shops yeah you know the machine shop and so I know nothing about the Navy. <laughs> I know nothing about the ships. So I, I don't know what the Navy ships look like today. I'm, I'm assuming they're probably a little bit more comfortable than back then. They um, are. They are. <laughs> uh, like the bunks and how many. I, I don't, when's the last time you were on a Navy ship? Like, Have you seen any of the newer ones? Oh, yeah. I've seen them, but it, I go online and take virtual tours of them. Oh, okay. Stuff Did like the that. bunks... Are the bunks the same? Like no, the it looks like a hotel. <laughs> yeah, I figured. <laughs> I mean, they're really nice. Yeah. I mean, I know when I came into the Army 22 years ago, um, I was in barracks, and our barracks were open bays. Right. It was, I mean, I had five people in my room when I was in E4 and E5 in World War II-style barracks mm -hmm. that are probably now torn down at Fort Riley and, and Fort Hood. Um, <clears throat> but... Now I, you know, I've been up to the barracks with some of my soldiers and stuff, and like they're they everyone has their own individual room now. Everyone has their own kitchenette. Yeah. I mean, I had one toilet on a on a whole hallway. <laughs> <laughs> now these guys have their own toilet in their rooms, and I'm like, wow, it looks pretty nice. Like doesn't living in the barracks doesn't seem so bad. There was a lot of fights back when I lived in the barracks. A lot of fights and a lot of drinking. Yeah. <laughs> well, we had toilets on the ship, of course, but they weren't typical either. I mean, oh yeah. They were, Small and the, like that's the steel ones or whatever the yeah, metal commodes were about this far apart. 
No walls. No barrier, no nothing. <laughs> Touching knees. <laughs> everybody find up how you doing today, you know. <laughs> Drinking morning coffee, I mean, pooping with your buddy. Brings <laughs> a whole other meeting to battle, buddy. You adapt to it. <laughs> oh, I bet. I mean, you have to. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. There's got to be a funny story, a funny ship story. There's got to be something that... Well, one comes to mind, and it was... Uh, this this will take a couple minutes. Oh, take your time. That's the point of a podcast. It's a chat. <laughs> I went to boot camp with a with a guy from Ohio, and uh, we got to know each other pretty good in boot camp. And we were seeking the same MOS, Fidelity Systems. And so, ironically, after boot camp, we got the same orders, and uh, we had orders to report to Long Beach Naval Shipyard which is where our ship we thought was. Well, we got there, checked in at the main gate and everything, and they said, your ship is deployed. And they gave us a barracks. So we, we were going to wait in the barracks for the ship to come back, which was, they didn't tell us when the ship was supposed to come back. So. <laughs> could be days, could be months. Now, anyway, two days later, uh, they called me to command and said I had orders that I was leaving the shipyard and I had orders to report to Yokosuka, Japan to meet my ship. That's where it was at. Oh, wow. My buddy didn't get orders, but he had, he, we had orders to the same ship, but he he didn't get sent in advance. He had to stay. So he flew me from Travis Air Force Base in California to Tachikawa Air Force Base in Japan. Got on a bus. They took me to Yakuska. It took about three hours. Got out. And there was a big ship waiting on me. I didn't know what to expect. You know, I, I'm just a farm boy out of Iowa, you know, and there, there's this big thing. And so anyway, I got on, checked in, got settled, and we deployed three days after I got to Japan to come back to Long Beach. Oh, wow. So they flew me all the way over there. <laughs> Three days I'm out to sea, headed back to Long Beach, where I'd just flown out of. <laughs> they wanted to get your sea legs a little early, huh? Well, I did. <laughs> and when we got back, my buddy was waiting at the dock. Okay. He'd just been hanging crazy. out, drinking beer. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we, we he did join the ship. And on one of our deployments, this is the funny, funny part. We thought it was funny. We got in some trouble over it, but... These are my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> my buddy was seasick. I mean, there was always 25, 30 sailors that could not get well. They were, as soon as you throw the ropes out the dock. I feel like that'd be me. They just, I'm, I'm going to go lay in my rack, which they wouldn't let you do. But they they carried buckets around with them all the time because they had to work. There was a thing on the ship called a gidunk. Okay. And a gidunk, you could buy sodas and candy bars. And it was kind of a, like a little commissary yeah, or like a yeah, little shopette. Yeah. It wasn't a mess hall, but yeah. something else. But they had canned sardines in there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> with mustard sauce or oil. You know. So a couple of my other friends on the ship thought we'd get my friend that was seasick all the time. So we bought one of those cans of sardines and took it in. He was like the fourth rack up. And we opened that can of sardines and emptied it in his pillowcase. <laughs> We just waiting for him to get off work because he immediately went to his rack because he was sick. <laughs> <laughs> and we heard him crawl up in there, 
shuffle around a little bit and all of a sudden just exploded. And he come out of there. He came straight off that rack and right down on the floor. <laughs> so uh, we got written up for that, me and two other guys. I can't even it, imagine. He didn't talk to us for a week. <laughs> but oh. that was... The, one of the funniest things that happened to me on the ship. <laughs> that's that's funny. <laughs> I, I I tell you, I think I'd be your buddy. I think I'd be the sick one. And if you put sardines in my pillow, I don't know if I'd ever talk to you again. <laughs> what was bad is my idea. It wasn't my other two friends. <laughs> oh, that seemed to make sense at the time. But <laughs> were you guys friends by the end of that that deployment? Oh, yeah. We we're still friends today. That's awesome. That's and that's. You know, some of the best friends ever made in the military are through the the worst times, right? Because yeah. horrible suffering makes friendships yeah. <laughs> that that last forever. You know, he's even a, when you're messing with each other. <laughs> he's a retired farmer outside of Columbus, Ohio. Okay, that's great. Paul Seaman was his name. Yeah, well, hopefully Paul will hear this episode. Maybe we'll yeah. get a hold of him and, and well, he'll he'll laugh. <laughs> That'd be great. So you you talked about some of your little bit of your transition to coming back from deployments. Um, what was your transition like out of the military back then? Because obviously there's you know so many more resources nowadays. People are treated way better. Um, what was your what was your experience of getting out of the Navy? Was it just like see you later? No, it wasn't. It took me I would say a good twelve months to really not think about the military every day and mm -hmm. my four year life as a sailor. Um. Vietnam was a terrible situation. It's one I'd be honest with you. I don't think we should have ever been involved in it in the first place. No. But, you know, politicians have a way to get us into things, and the military try to get us out. Yeah. And a lot of time, it's very difficult. Afghanistan, Iraq, mm. Ukraine. Now, you know, is it's it always be, something. Is it going to be Thailand next? You know, yeah. it's it's always politicians something. out there. You know, they and uh, it took me a year and. I was heckled, wow. you know, in my job, going out or something. They find out she just got out of the military, and it was, what was it like killing all those civilians over there? And of course, I didn't kill any, but, yeah. I mean, if you're in the military, you were labeled. Yeah, 100%. So the transition was hard. I thought a couple of times about going back in, to be honest with you. Did you? Yeah. What stopped you? I had a family then. Yeah. It I've been married twice, so mm -hmm. it was the first family. Yeah, that's tough. And it's, I couldn't leave them, you know. Yeah, that's that's definitely, you know, the one thing I like to tell, tell all my, my guys um, when I was in is your family's always going to be there. Yeah. When you leave this job, doesn't matter if you won the Medal of Honor or you did nothing, you're just going to be a picture on the uh, wall, yeah. and they're going to replace your position. So spend the time with your family every time, every chance you get. Spend the time with your family. Yes, there's days you have to work a little bit longer. Yes, there's times you have to leave for weeks, months at a time. But when you're home, be home yeah. and, and enjoy that time. So it's tough for some people to do, you know. Um, it's a balance, you know, between your family life and your work life. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of most people don't know how to balance that time. Yeah. And that's what causes problems. Absolutely. I was one of them. Yeah, I, you I know my work and my career. I mean, that became a priority to me, and uh, 
looking back, I'm sure my family suffered. Yeah. Because we think we're doing the right thing. We think we're we're providing. We think we're That's the ones it. that we have to we have to put the weight on our shoulders so our family lives a, a better life. Exactly. But then there's you know, there's those times in between there where you could have made that decision to stay say, Hey, actually you know what? I'm gonna back away this time and go spend time with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and still be in the same position. You know, still I still agree. be just as, as, as successful. So it's important for all, especially you young guys out there, young young people out there in the military that have those families, spend the time when you can. Spend the time when you can and, and include your family into your life, into your work life, and let them know that make that you want to make them a priority because that will, will save some marriages for sure. <laughs> um, you know, I think back, and you're absolutely <clears throat> correct. You know, we take our families for granted too yeah, much. Absolutely. And, uh, when you start doing that, you're going to have problems. Yeah, yeah and because they need your time more than your employer does. Yep, and I, and I, you know, I say a lot of things because I've run a podcast, but I've I, I've been saying lately that you know, a, a a soldier with a broken family is just as bad as a broken soldier. So it, it needs to be a holistic, like a whole family atmosphere for a lot of these these units out there, especially special operations guys that have to leave so much. Um, these some of these combat. I mean, just whatever unit you're with, if you're if you're gone a lot, just I hope your commanders out there understand that when you're home, be home. Your first line leaders let these guys go home and spend some time when you don't necessarily have to be there, because it's it's important. It's vital. Yeah, absolutely. So when you transitioned out of the military, what were the resources like? What were what? I mean, when it comes to like VA, when it comes to your actual transition did what 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 was a what did you see that was available to you well i did take advantage in fact i registered while i was still active in the gi bill college okay so i i was working and going to school part-time under the gi bill mm-hmm. um which was great i mean it i got ridiculed in college too but so yeah more so there than in the civilian life. College camp is pretty rough. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's probably one of the more left, liberal wing, liberal yeah. side of of our society yeah. is these universities. But, but you know, as far as veteran support, I knew it was there, and there was a lot of it. We had a big, big veterans hospital, mm-hmm. and uh, I've never used the service of a veterans hospital, but I have friends. One of my best friends today is a retired. He was in the Corps of Engineers, which was kind of a offshoot of the Army. Yep. And uh, he retired. He was four years. He was a diver in Vietnam. Oh wow! And he spent a lot of time in those uh, rivers where the patrol boats, the Navy patrol boats, yeah, were operated, sinking, pulling the sunken ships. And and he was Navy uh, recovering, salvage, mm-hmm. things like that mines you know all that kind of stuff wow and he had age agent orange real bad when it came out from being in that water where all that agent orange run off into the rivers and stuff and so he he got out he was uh he got out he wasn't on disability at the time but today he's on i think 90 percent disability i mean he should be had his prostate removed because of agent orange and my son knows him, Taylor, and he's he's my fishing partner and 
we spent a lot of time together. Mm-hmm. And he tells me without the uh, veterans benefits that he had available to him, he probably wouldn't have made it. Wow. Because he used the psychological support, mm-hmm. and he, he really utilized everything they had. And he's very thankful for it. He still is involved with them. Um, but other, you know, I've been aware of the Veterans Administration, and I've just never had to use them that much. Yeah. <coughs> well, I tell you, we should we should do what we can to get your friend to 100%, because that extra 10% means a lot for him, means a lot for his whole family. Because, um, I mean, when you break that 100, 100% mark, it, there's, it opens up even more. Yeah. Um, even for you. I mean, do you have a VA rating right now? or No. Well, maybe we should figure that out, too. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, everybody deserves it. I mean, I don't care. I've been told I need help a lot of times. <laughs> everybody needs help, Phil. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, especially that, that era. I mean, the, the, the Vietnam era, you guys signed up in a time that it was very unpopular to sign up. Um, and you guys still made the decision to go serve your country. And, and so everything that's out there, you guys should be afforded you should you should have all those resources at your fingertips because a lot of our books and a lot of the stuff that we do nowadays was written off of what you guys did you guys were our base model because that's when that that technology of war that was the war that where that technology really changed and the tactics really changed from you know trench warfare obviously world war ii was a little different getting into more of the tank battles and stuff like that but you guys the combat and the and the the navy tactics and all that stuff are pretty similar to what today are so <clears throat> be proud of that and 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 use it i mean you get go out and and get that va stuff taken care of because it's just resources that can really help you for someone that put i mean put your life on the line yeah so there's one thing i'd like to say about the veterans administration it's probably the most undervalued service or that's available yeah and it's it doesn't get the credit it needs it doesn't get the support it needs i mean there's so much available and a lot of people are aware of it that study it but the people that have never used it probably will never use it because they don't know what's available to them yeah and that's we had a little bit of this conversation beforehand before we started today of uh, the VA and these nonprofit organizations that are out there. If everybody said, oh, I don't deserve it or, oh, I don't need it, then these places wouldn't exist because not only do we need the money and the, the donations and, and the government funding for all these things to work, we need to have bodies and chairs to to get that money. And, and so to me... It, you know, I don't care if you were an admin specialist. I don't care if you were a Green Beret, like mm-hmm. from one side or the other. If you decided to sign up for the military, you decide you you made the, the decision to give your life, give up a good chunk of your time and in, in your family and, and so much to serve this country. I don't care if you're doing it because you didn't have anything left or this is you you were a true patriot and you joined. That's what these services are out there for. That's why they're available is for everybody. So everybody's worth it in my eyes. Um, and you are definitely because you like I said you signed up in a time it was really hard to sign up. Everybody out there everybody that's out there listening coming to Mount Carmel, get 
you know, get what you can. Go go to your local nonprofits if you're not here in the Colorado Springs area. Go to your VA VSOs and relook at your your VA percentages, your disability ratings. Um, they're always subject to change. They're never going to go down. They're they're all they can always just go up. So unless something crazy happens, because I know there's <laughs> some instances they can, but everybody needs to go out there and, and get checked on and, and get some help because it, joining the military is not easy. Nope. Um, I got maybe a closing question while we're talking about transitions. Uh, I know a lot of so, or soldiers and now veterans struggle with transitioning out. Uh, and for me and probably you too, Paul, maybe you, Dad, it's finding purpose outside of the military. So you have time on a ship or time in Afghanistan or time you know, wearing the uniform in general, and then you get out and you don't have that purpose anymore. Uh, so I guess my question to you, Dad, is was there something in the military, maybe like a discipline or a routine or just a general thing you picked up that helped transition you from a bottom-of-the-barrel Navy seaman to top presidents of multiple businesses throughout your life? Well, to me, it would, you know, the military, you do start at the bottom. Which I think is great. Yeah. You know, starting at the bottom gives you the the will to climb out off the bottom and work your way to the top. And I think the military does that if you apply yourself. There's a lot available to you in the military if you go get it. Absolutely. And I think I learned that. And I think that's a lesson you should remember being a Green Beret. I mean, what did it take you to get from a private to a Green Beret? A lot of hard work. I mean, there <laughs> should be no challenge in civilian life. I mean, you should be able to just go right through that because you know how hard you, you had to work to become a Green Beret. I watched you. I watched your Q school selection. Um, it's incredible. I mean, if you can do that, you can do anything in civilian life. Mm -hmm. Just got to get your heart set right. I'd say your brain, but I think it's more in your heart. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. And, um, <clears throat> use the military to your advantage. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they give you so many skills starting at basic training of, hey, it doesn't matter if you come in here as a doctor. It doesn't matter if you come in here as a home, uh, like from living from the streets. You're all starting at the same level. You all have to work up, and you all have the same things afforded to you. You all have the GI Bill. You all have, like, now they have tuition assistance and credentialing assistance. You have uh, the Army Cool program. I'm not sure about the programs throughout the other branches, but the, all these opportunities to go out and get certifications, get a degree, get <clears throat> get everything that, that will set you up for your transition out of the military. So take advantage. I mean, make don't let the Army or don't let the military use you because they'll use you for every oh, yeah. ounce of blood you got in you. Yeah. Use them back because it's that's what those programs are there for. Well, Phil, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you for your service. Thank you for all the words. Hopefully, someone out there heard your story and, and could and can connect. Maybe someone in, from your era, the Vietnam era. Mm -hmm. um, thank you so much, and and Taylor, thanks for uh, having course. your dad in town and giving us the opportunity to. You're our first Vietnam vet that we've been able to uh, interview here, so that's. You know, special place in my heart for for your era and and everything you've guys done. So, do you have anything cl closing you want to say? I just want to <clears throat> say I'm honored to be with special forces personnel. I mean, it, you're you are definitely 
one of the elite forces, if not the most elite. I know on the Navy side we have somebody called SEALs, and they're pretty respected too. Yeah. But not it, by Green Berets, though. Sorry. I've never, I've never heard of them. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> but it's a real honor to, well, to be a part of this, and I, I would just like to say we need more people like you to spread the word because there's a lot of us out there that don't don't really understand what's available and how easy it is to get it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people out there that that want to help. But thank you. Thank you for those words. Um, it really means a lot coming from you in your era. Um, and again, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. You're listening to The Veteran's Voice, presented by USAA in partnership with Optum, Medicare Mentors, Colorado Computer Support, and the Wirenut Home Services. Imagine never having to worry about your information systems ever again. Colorado Computer Support is the exclusive Veterans Voice technology partner meeting all of our computing needs. Colorado Computer Support is veteran-owned. They're your team for innovative, collaborative IT services and solutions to enhance and support your Colorado business. When you need IT services to keep your business going, make sure the Colorado Computer Support team is on your team. Call 719-355-2440 to learn more. That's 719-355-2440. The Wirenut Home Services. Every season brings a new strain on your home's systems. Veterans Voice Partner, the Wirenut Home Services is the company you can count on to handle your heating, cooling, and electrical needs. They're family-owned, proud to employ honest, hardworking Coloradans. When you need plumbing, heating, cooling, or electrical help, that w- the Wirenut does that. Call 719-399-5021. That's 719-399-5021. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Veterans Voice Podcast. I'm here today with John Swales, former Green Beret, and Chelsea Wallace, COO of Northwestern Mutual here in uh, Colorado Springs. And John also works for uh, Northwestern Mutual. This month, we're covering transition and employment. So we'll be highlighting some of the veteran-friendly businesses, companies here throughout Colorado Springs in the Front Range area. So thank you guys both for coming on today. Talk about Northwestern Mutual or Army Times. Just have some fun in here. Chelsea, how long have been working at Northwestern Mutual? I've been at Northwestern Mutual for 15 years. What brought you to Northwestern Mutual? What 15 years ago, what did you... I was a recent uh, college grad. My father at the time was stationed in Japan as the Airbus of the Kitty Hawk. Uh, he had just received orders to finish his final tour in Colorado Springs, and I thought that would be a perfect place nice. to live upon graduation. And so I came here. My family ended up following about six months later. He finished his tour at NORAD Mountain. And um, soon after, I started my career at Northwestern Mutual, helping people make a career transition to being a financial advisor and working with college students to test drive our top 10 internship program and see if they would like to be an entrepreneur and financial advisor upon graduation. Great. So you have a connection to the military world. Yes, I'm a Navy brat. That's awesome. That's awesome. So see, you know, Northwestern Mutual as, as a whole is, is, especially down here with Kevin uh, being over there as a managing partner, is is very veteran friendly. John, is, is that what attracted you to Northwestern Mutual? So, so Kevin attracted me to Northwestern Mutual. Um, <laughs> He's a very attracting man. Yeah, I didn't, not attractive. Attracting. I, I never thought about a job in the financial industry like at all. Like my my background doesn't speak to it or anything. I met Kevin. Our kids play lacrosse together. Okay. And he just met me, we were talking, learned a little about each other, and just, you should come apply, you should come apply, you should come apply. Awesome. And just kept going. Uh, I mean, 
mean, it didn't take them too long, like a month maybe, and then I came in, and the atmosphere there is really nice. Like, that's what it was. Like, and it was so, there's so many military there. Yeah. It's like, I think it's like, at more than 50%, I would say yeah. the advisors are military. So, like, going from the military and then to a civilian job, it's very comfortable. You felt, right, you felt comfortable. Yeah. I would like to say, you know, many people can make this transition into this career. They're usually looking for something for flexibility, independence, freedom. I would also say impact. And what I have found when you're transitioning specifically from the military, you're looking for something. How do I continue a career with impact? How do mm-hmm. I do something that's bigger than myself? How do I help people? How do I do something that has perhaps the same nobility that you yeah. have found when you were serving our country? That and purpose. so, correct. And so, you can do that in this career. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that is helpful. Not every person in their transition is like raising their hand saying, This is what I want to do. But these things that they're looking for, they can find parallels to. Um, I like to say that in the military, you can do difficult things for long periods of time with disturbing regularity. <laughs> and that's what it takes to do this career really well. That's great. Yeah, but what, what, it, what would it look like for a veteran to come into your office day one? And what's, what's the plan for them? I think let's back up. I think okay. the, what I would like to share is first is, is helping you explore what do you want to do during that transition? Is this even the right fit? Mm-hmm. Um, is this what you're looking for? And so we go through this really great selection process called a mutual selection process where you get to learn about Northwestern Mutual okay. and we're learning about you. Are we going to be able to set you up for success? Okay. And then there's this onboarding period. Once you kind of raise your hand and you're like, yes, absolutely, this is what I want to do. We help you get ready for training. And so we're gonna help you obtain licensing. We're gonna help you um, with language, with um, really getting some of your tools on your tool belt mm-hmm. so that when you go to training, you, you're, you're there. You're drinking from a fire hose, of course, but 80% is gonna be like a classroom and 20% you're actually gonna be in the field beginning this business with your mentor. So you're starting from. You're from gonna, we're gonna we're gonna help you launch this. Okay. Training is gonna be about three weeks to initially begin, but it's ongoing. It's gonna follow you your first year, two, three years in this business. There's tremendous amount of credentials that you can receive. Mm-hmm. Training, advanced training, but really, it's gonna be having that mentorship and coaching that's gonna follow you post training. So it's kind of like being in the military, especially being a Green Beret. Like you never stop learning. You never stop. You're yeah. constantly learning new jobs, expounding on on your job, and you have a whole support team behind you to help right. you train. I'm sure you have study class, every study sessions, and, and continuing education because everything changes too. Yeah. So you have to stay on top of the changes. Yeah, like changes. Technology changes. Yeah. Everything changes. So yeah. well, I apologize. I got to take a quick moment here. Uh, take a quick break for our partners optum colorado veterans voice is produced in the optum podcast studio optum colorado and mountain view medical group part of optum offer 20 clinics throughout the pikes peak region their primary and specialty care doctors provide quality patient-centered care backed by optum's industry leading health services and technology optum is dedicated to helping our community live healthier while keeping care affordable visit optumcare.com colorado to learn more and schedule your appointment today medicare mentors When it's time to consider your Medicare options, it's time to talk with Medicare Mentors. Medicare Mentors, powered by Spark, is veteran-owned, a long-standing Mount Carmel Veteran Service Center partner, and the Veterans Voice podcast channel provider. More than that, they go above and beyond to make sure that when you need them, they're lending a helping hand. Medicare Mentors, powered by Spark, always above and beyond. Visit MedicareMentorsLLC.com for more information. 
So back here with John and Chelsea talking about you know you guys' onboarding, um, you know making that that learning environment a little bit less stressful from coming out of the military, and that's that's great because getting out of the military is stressful. Finding a new job is stressful. There's nothing not stressful about getting out of the military. Every part of it is stressful. Right. So when you have someone like you guys that are coming in and trying to alleviate that a little bit, that's great. That's awesome. And for the skill bridge, you said you know if, if people don't take the job, at least they've learned something. And I, and I. I'm going to screw this this number up, but I think it's something like uh, it's upwards of 70 to 80 percent of people that get out of the military do not stick with their first job. Yeah, Taylor, look that up on it. But <laughs> it shows like getting out and getting a new job is terrifying for a lot of people because they've just been they just left a career that they had a contract with. If you didn't go to work, you went to jail. <laughs> like, yeah. like, so, right. like, like, so now you're like, well, whatever I pick, I mean, this is this is it for the rest of my life. But it's okay if you okay. This isn't for you. Right. We understand that. So that's I, I appreciate that that aspect of what you guys are doing. Yeah, we we want to help veterans transition, and it might not be into this career, but we want to definitely give back. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is, most veterans transitioning out, I believe, can do anything that they want to do. Yeah, their careers in the military, they did so many things from leadership to being an engineer being a it's so it's so wide mm-hmm. and it's multifaceted enco- correct encompass, encompassing so much that a lot of careers are looking for specific traits i need an engineer i need somebody that um has financial management experience i mm-hmm. need somebody that's doing this and what i a lot of companies are when they're going through resumes and meeting people they're looking for who's that you're out, you're out, you're out. You're yeah. not a fit, you're not a fit, you're not a fit. Um, in my 15 years, the way I like to bring people into this industry is how do I find more people that are in? Like, yeah. do you want to be part of our culture? How do will we you make help? you fit? Yeah, will you make us better? Will you bring an interesting perspective? Are you going to help a group of people we haven't served yet in our community? And so the reality is I believe most veterans that are transitioning out can do whatever they want to do. They need to just find the right culture fit. Mm-hmm. The companies, unfortunately, a lot of times really do not understand what veterans are able to do. So do you guys feel like veterans do perform better than, than your civilian side when it comes in? <laughs> it's work ethic. Yeah. Um, our job is, I feel like it's got to be 90% work ethic. Um, yeah. You just have to be a self-starter and a hard worker. Um, we have a lot of military, um, a lot of athletes in our office. Um, that's, I mean, that just makes up a big chunk of our office. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have a lot of interns that switch over again, but really hard workers. Like you saw them as interns. One of our, our youngest interns, top 10 intern in the country. He went out oh. to Grand Junction. Um, I mean, this kid was there just as much as a full-time advisors wow. going full-time school. And yeah. he's married. He's got to put a wife, uh, roof over his wife's head, like really impressive kid. And, um, it's, it's, it's really all work ethic. If you could work hard, you can make yourself self, something of yourself at Northwestern. Grit, That's awesome. Persistency, yeah. overcoming adversity. I think our veterans are faced with that time and time again. From, from day one in the day one in the military. Right, or even I would say the person that um, in, in a lot of environments, not just the military, can be. You can find this in any probably organization. But twenty percent of the people doing eighty percent of the work. Right. If yeah. you want to be part of, if you're the twenty percent, being in a career that you're paid for your performance and you're in charge of your growth, you are able to choose where you want to live and what you do and how you help people. You can it can be a good fit. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Is there a is there an overall connection 
at Northwestern Mutual to the military, or is it just being here in this military town that maybe attract people there or attract military to you, or, or try making military people attracted to Northwestern Mutual? I feel like that's our office is special yeah. <laughs> is because of where we are uh-huh. and there's five military installations here mm-hmm. but i think across the country there's a huge opportunity for veterans and this career opportunity if you want to work hard and um, continue a career that's noble and giving back and helping people but you also want the freedom and flexibility it, this is a wonderful thing to look at it's just mm-hmm. going to require you to to be persistent have some grit um, not quit when it gets hard right away. Yeah. But anybody can do it. My email is Chelsea, C H E L S E A dot Wallace, W A L L A C E at nm.com. I'd be happy to have a conversation if you're interested about this career in Colorado Springs, if you want to be connected to an advisor. Um, I'm also able to help you connect to Northwestern Mutual wherever this finds you. Mm-hmm. Reach out to us. We want to help people make a transition and do what what their life's work is all about to continue another career with purpose. Yeah, go to your as a Skillbridge uh, advisors on on post. Uh, Coming here to transition employment again, a bunch of opportunities out there for you guys. Uh, they're getting out of the military, and even if you've already been out for a little while and you, you're kind of lost, you don't know what you're doing. Coming to Mount Carmel, coming to Northwestern Mutual, see if it's if it's what you guys want to do. Uh, John Chelsea, thank you guys so much for coming on the show today. Thank you guys so much for what you do for veterans here in Colorado Springs and across the country. John, thank you for your service. It was awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank you for your service. Thank you. You're listening to The Veteran's Voice, presented by USAA, in partnership with Optum, Medicare Mentors, Colorado Computer Support, and the WireNet Home Services. This weekend is Veterans Day, and I just want to say thank you so much to everybody out there for your service. We just want to say thanks, and you know who else wants to say thanks? Me? Who's that? <laughs> you, yeah, we're, we're all thankful. No, honestly, for the service. Uh, this, this can be a hard time for some people out there. Um, even if you weren't a veteran, you just knew a veteran, very close to a veteran, uh, you know, Gold Star family, anything out there. Just let, just want to let you know that Mount Carmel's here for you. Um, we have all the services here if you're having a hard time. But thank you guys. Thanks to the families. Thanks to the veterans. Thank you for everything you've done for this country. Um, you're not forgotten. And, and just know that you're worth. Not forgotten, not alone, and yes, here at Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center, we're here every day of the year, absolutely, and we understand that sometimes those little perks. and There's a lot of people that do stuff. Doesn't Starbucks do something? Yeah, Starbucks. If you go to Starbucks um, on Veterans Day, you're a veteran, you'll get a 12-ounce tall coffee, hot or cold, however you like it. Yeah, thanks, Starbucks, for doing that. It's great. I'll I'll be hitting it up. (laughs) All right, we'll see you guys soon. This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Veterans, do you want to improve your ability to get noticed by recruiters, find and apply for jobs, and gain career support? The business social media site LinkedIn is offering veterans a year of free access to LinkedIn Premium, a more than $300 value. Go to socialimpact.linkedin.com. This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Veterans, have you downloaded the VA Health and Benefits mobile app? It makes it easy to manage your health care and benefits. In a newer feature, the app lets you review your VA prescriptions. Download the app on your iPhone or the Google App Store or wherever you get your mobile apps. 
That's the VA Health and Benefits mobile app. You've been listening to The Veterans Voice, presented by USAA. Veterans Voice is a service of Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center and originates from the Optum Podcast Studio located on the Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center campus in Colorado Springs, Colorado. The podcast channel is provided by Medicare Mentors. Computing Power is provided by Technology Partner Colorado Computer Support. Additional funding is provided by Supporting Partner The Wirenut Home Services. Veterans Voice airs on flagship station KRDO News Radio Sundays at 7.30 a.m. The podcast publishes Saturday at 8 a.m. and is available on all your favorite podcast apps.